1: I want to start this week's episode by saying a thank you for making this podcast part of your routine. Now, there's thousands of podcasts out there, and it means a lot to me that you choose me as your coach and as your mentor. So I have an invitation for you today. If you like my philosophies and you're ready to join a group of people who are growing and taking action towards financial freedom and fulfillment, then hop on a call with someone on my team at rockthomas.com forward slash vip call to find out how we can help you achieve those goals trying it alone is something i tried but trying it with others accelerates the journey towards your success you don't have to do it all alone we are there to help so will you take the next step all you have to do is say yes and let's get started today i'm interviewing heather monahan is the best-selling author keynote speaker, entrepreneur, and founder of Boss in Leels. Now she's successfully climbed the corporate ladder for nearly 20 years. She's one of the few women to break the glass ceiling and claim her spot in the C-suite. And as a chief revenue officer in media, is a glass ceiling award winner named one of the most influential women in radio in 2017 and Thrive Global named her as a limit breaking female founder in 2018. Heather's new book confidence creator shot to number one on Amazon business biographies and business motivation lists the first week it's debuted in Amazon. She's a confidence expert and is currently working with her fortune 500 companies and professional sports to develop confidence in the workplace and on the court. And you see my interview with her is, is really interesting. She's got these cool strategies on how you can build your confidence and how you can become a better version of yourself. Um, you know, with everything going on with the pandemic and being a single mom, raising her son uh, at home, being what she calls, I think, a Zoomologist or a Zoom expert, um, she's got a lot of insights on helping people break through to the new level. So let's jump to my conversation with Heather Monahan. Welcome to the podcast episode. Glad to have you here, Heather.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Now, I, we could probably talk for a couple of hours with all your extensive experience. I was looking through your Instagram and a bunch of different stuff. You've done a ton of things and you've become this very successful speaker and author. How are you pivoting during the COVID now that you're not out so much?
0: Yeah, well, not out very much at all with a child in Zoom school. I The first thing that I did was I'm definitely my most creative when I'm exercising and I was, you know, my number one revenue stream prior to COVID heading was my speaking engagements and my live events. And so I, luckily I had a Peloton bike. I went on my Peloton bike and I thought to myself, what are the things that people ask me for that I have not been able to deliver on because I've been traveling so much. So I went back to my DMs on LinkedIn specifically, and I just started writing down all the things people have been asking me for. And I saw a pattern that people were asking me for executive coaching, business consulting and mentoring. So I decided, okay, I'm just going to start a virtual consulting coaching business. And I just put a post up on LinkedIn, had no idea about that industry. I had never hired a coach. I, I had used one consultant when I was in corporate America. But for a very specific project, I really didn't think big picture about this business or understand it was a billion dollar business. And so I just put a post up and I sold that program out immediately and I've just been evolving it and growing the business over the last, I guess, seven months now.
1: Wow, that's very cool. It seems like whatever you direct your focus on, you do very well. What would you attribute to that ability to be successful? And it seems a lot of things that you've done
0: disagree with that you know I focused for a long time with Perry Ellis on launching my own clothing brand, and for nine months we worked really hard at that and then we took the line to HSN where we wanted to air the the lines of the line and it failed they said the, the clothing was too similar to what they already had so I put a lot of focus and energy in a lot of things people don't always see the ones that don't materialize because There really isn't, there's not a product to sell. They see the book that came to life or my speaking engagements or my coaching services, because those have been sustainable business models. But for me, you know, I focus on a lot of different things. I guess I I really believe in the octopus revenue strategy that you can't have one pipeline of revenue, just one, you know, finite business. And I'm grateful that I've learned that over the years because that's allowed me to have a number of different things selling at one time because there's gonna be ebbs and flows as we know, changes in you know, events and, and whatnot. So I really think that it's important to focus on many different things. Um, and I know that's that goes against a lot of people's advice that you should really just get clear and great at one thing. But for me, that has not been a recipe for success. It's definitely been more about focusing on many different things.
1: Yeah, I agree with you too. I have multiple streams of income and I think that you can, you can go in, set it up, get it operating, get a great operator, and then you can move on and create something else. And especially with COVID there's some people, like if you look at the cruise industry, they're pretty much screwed right now, right? They have that one line of business and even in real estate, you need to pivot maybe from student housing and retail into industrial. So I I agree with you. I think that several streams of income, okay, Warren Buffett does okay in his field, but he also has different, right, niches. He has many different vehicles he uses within that that asset class.
0: Yeah, and he partners with a lot of different people. He has a personal brand. He has, you know, he's invested in multitudes of different companies, so he's very diversified and and even to your point with realtors, you know, a realtor can have a personal brand. A realtor could be, you know, teach webinars um, online via social media on how to go for the clothes and teach outside of real estate business. There's so many different ways to take your unique talents and skills and offer them as a service uh, to drive revenue.
1: So it brings me to my next question: Is you know, people talk about the American dream, living the dream, and going after the dream. What do you think is the thing that stops most people? Because a lot of people take, you know, they take action and then become jaded or disappointed and then they end up driving a UPS truck or working at Starbucks instead of really living the life they want to live.
0: I guess there's probably two things. One is fear. Fear stops so many people. And the second one I was noticing earlier today when I was working with one of my clients People that don't hold themselves accountable and then, and if they know that's an issue for them, they don't implement a safety net such that they're held accountable in another way. And, and what I mean by that is essentially reverse engineering accountability. For me, when I knew I wanted to write my second book, but I just wasn't doing it, I didn't know why I wasn't, I just wasn't getting myself over the hump. I went online, I posted, my second book is gonna come out and I gave myself a deadline to the public even though I hadn't written one word I knew that would force pressure onto me, which would force me to hold myself accountable. So figuring out an accountability solution is really important. Having deadlines and committing them to other people so you need to deliver. And then the other thing is, you know, around stepping into fear, I've reframed that in my mind as I see fear as a green light that means go and go faster. But it's taken me three years to really uh, see that as a viable solution for me. So for people who, are afraid who do feel paralyzed by fear. You know, it's looking at what is the worst case scenario that could actually happen. You know, what what is that, what is the upside if I actually do try it? And part of part of that's around self-doubt. If you if you really don't believe in yourself, if you're not very confident, people get stuck in that fear. And it's important to surround yourself with people that are light years ahead of you. So if they can say to you, this is a smart move, go for it. I'm, I'm here cheering you on. I'm going to help you.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense so that being said you recently about three years ago or so got you know let go from your job and i think that a lot of times that can define us and it's taking you in a new direction what did you learn from that experience
0: you know you think in that moment that they took everything away from you however what i learned is the only thing they could take from me was a paycheck i kept my experience i kept my network i kept all my unique talents. And I was able to now, instead of delivering that for shareholders to make rich people richer, I was able now to take those talents and, and those experiences to do good in the world, to help other people and to start my own company, which is something that I had never thought of doing before after having been in corporate America for 20 something years.
1: And so now who's your ideal client then with your message?
0: Well, it depends in which vehicle, I'm delivering it, right? So if it's for speeches, you know, right now it's all virtual speeches and and I'm doing a lot of these, how to create certainty in uncertain times and and delivering value for business owners around, you know, how to pivot. So the speaking world is one arena. My books and my courses are typically targeted to people who are struggling with confidence and not stepping into really what they want to do, whether it be at work or in their personal life. So there, you know, my audience is sixty percent female, forty percent male, in the age range of twenty-five to fifty-five, and there's a lot of doubt and uncertainty in, in that audience. And you know, I, I believe that my message is able to connect with them. A lot of those people have been furloughed and don't know what you know what to do right now and are feeling really stuck and really scared. So it, it definitely is a good um, it's a good time to help people find certainty within themselves.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we're going through some very interesting times. And I was one of those people that thought it was going to get over sooner than it did. And now it looks like it's going to be here for for the long term. What is is something that you feel uh, you've learned, maybe either from that event or in life, like the most important thing you've learned in life?
0: The most important thing I've learned in life probably has come from, I lost my mentor during this time during the pandemic. And It just really reminded me, his message to me was always around legacy and thinking beyond just doing your job today, raising your children, you know, just living in your life. But think about what is that legacy that you want to leave behind when you are no longer here and what can you do today to make it more impactful, more meaningful. And for me, a lot of that's around not of course my son is my priority and and making sure you know that is of course part of my legacy but how can you help more people beyond just your finite you know family and and looking to moving into this business that i'm now in where i help people at scale that is true legacy and that's something that will live on you know far beyond when i'm here when you're able to touch and impact people's lives in a really positive way so For me, it's legacy and and finding out what your real purpose is.
1: So you say your mentor, you lost your mentor. Did you have one main mentor or have you had a few in your life that have influenced you most? And how much of an influence were your parents on you?
0: My mentor that passed away was really my closest mentor over the last, I'd say probably the last decade before that there were other mentors my the CEO of the first uh, company that made me an equity partner in my early 20s he was very impactful earlier on in my career to me and then even back in high school my softball coach you know sports played a huge role in mentoring and developing me and and I had the opportunity to go back for a speaking engagement last year to my high school and I was able to spend time with my softball coach again, and it was just, I just immediately reminded me how she was always there cheering me on, always uplifting me, always congratulating me and how much it means to have someone like that in your corner. My biological parents divorced when I was very young. And so I, my biological father was not in my life and my mother worked three jobs. She was very poor, raising four kids and she wasn't around very much because she had to work. She ended up Remarrying, and my father adopted all of us. So he was definitely a, a, someone who played a more of a mentorship role in my life. And he's someone who always worked for somebody else and once went out and tried to start his own business, the business failed. And he went back to corporate America, you know, back to the nine to five grind. And I remember watching all of that, you know, from a child's perspective. And it was very interesting. I think in some regards, when I got fired from corporate America, that was sort of that fear that I went back to is, oh my gosh, I remember my father tried this, he failed and had to pick it back up and, and go back to corporate America. And so initially, I was sort of thinking about that and you know, reliving that in my mind, not wanting to duplicate whatever it was, the challenges he had, he wasn't able to overcome. And I think that, that I had a lot of fear initially around that because of that experience as a child.
1: It's fascinating how the little things that we witness growing up can end up playing in decisions later on in our life. Um, As you look at that influence of the different scenarios growing up, how much of that, um, maybe not having, you know, um, your parents, I guess, there very much, you became quite a doer right? You were, you were into sports and you become a successful businesswoman. How much of that was born out of that? Were you a firstborn or a second, third or fourth? Which were you in the household?
0: I was a second child and I remember seeing my mother struggle. And so to me, I thought from day one, I was probably nine or 10 years old when I started my paper route. I need to make money, I need to earn money. And that was really the driving force for me that led me to working at fast food restaurants, which led me to becoming a waitress, which led me to becoming a bartender. And through all of those years, from the time I was 10 till I graduated school, I always worked and work was the priority. And what I didn't realize at the time is I was learning sales and sales skills, which has been my entire career since then, so I, I really had this jumpstart on everybody else when I went into my first uh, sales job at the Gallo Winery. It was easy for me to become the number one salesperson. I've been selling for almost 20 years and all these other people you know, were trying to figure out how do, how do you upsell someone? How do you form a rapport and a relationship? Well, when you've been doing that in these different service industries for a long time, you're able to move really quickly.
1: Yeah. That's uh, incredible how all those jobs create this identity and give you a vast ability to succeed later. You know, of all the people I've interviewed that are very successful, I would say like probably 90% of people that are, you know, entrepreneurial successful either had a paper route or they cut grass or they did something at a very young age. It's almost hundred percent of the people. So what's a, what's a fantastic day for Heather today?
0: Um, getting to work out outside, you know, having been inside so much because, you know, my son has Zoom school because all of my meetings are on Zoom now, you know, we're indoors so much that like anything, it becomes this routine. So forcing myself to get out of the house once a day to go to the track and work out outside is the best thing in the world. There's so many amazing athletes that happen to live in Miami and there's professional athletes. There's, Former Olympians working out there. And so it's really motivating to work out side by side with people that are light years ahead of you.
1: Yeah, I love it. What's the best compliment you've ever received?
0: Probably about my son. You know, when you when you have kids, you don't, you never know, oh my gosh, am I gonna know how to parent? Am I, you know, how is I wonder if this child's gonna turn out okay. And getting now that my son's um, a 13 year old is getting to hear from other people, you know, what a nice child he is, how smart he is, how kind he is and how funny he is. And I, that's just so exciting because it's something, you know, that you've been working side by side with someone for years and years, and and then you let go and, and just hope for the best. And then to get that feedback and hear that when he's out there in the world on his own, that he's doing good things is it's really amazing.
1: That's beautiful. Does he get a sense of humor from you?
0: Yeah, I'm pretty funny.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Now being a successful and attractive woman, what has been some of the most challenges you've had in that regard?
0: You know, being underestimated for sure. Also, when I was younger, people would attribute all success to how you look. It's not as much an issue anymore at 46, but at 24, when I was running an operation, you know, there was all, the only reason she has that job is because she has blonde hair or this or that. So that's frustrating when you're younger, when you become a bit older, you start leveraging that, you know, the unexpected. So as I learned, not to be upset about what people thought instead, how can I use that as an advantage point for me? That was a really powerful shift. And I know because of the way that I, I'm being added to a board of directors right now, and I'm the only female, I'm the youngest board member and the youngest and the only female. And so if it had been younger me, I'd be petrified by that, that, oh, they're not gonna take me seriously. But instead now I went to the the first meeting with the, the CEO and founder of the company, and I, got all dressed up and looked my best, which is something I wouldn't have done before, because I know when I show up as the most powerful version of the real me, regardless of whoever I'm with, that's when my people will be drawn to me. So I went in making jokes, asking where the rest of the ladies were. And, you know, we hit it off immediately because I just showed up as that real version of me. So, so now I use being a woman and looking different to my advantage, where before it might have, I might have dimmed my light or been embarrassed about it.
1: Right. You also have runway under you. You have credibility. You have history. So it's not just, you know, you showing up and then not 24 years old. You're like, well, what have you done? But you have, you know, credibility and credentials. You're working on another book. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: So I'm a big fan of give people what they want. And so one of the things that I looked at is what are people asking me about since I was fired? Because my first book, Confidence Creator, I wrote immediately once I got fired and self-published. So this time I'm working with HarperCollins Leadership on my second book. And my pitch to them was, I am constantly asked, how did you get from fired, unemployed, to where you are now three years later. What does that roadmap look like? How can someone duplicate that journey or, you know, steal what insights you were able to garner in that time? So it's really, you know, all the individual personal stories over the last three years of things that have worked, things that haven't worked, you know, people I needed to get rid of in my life, issues and I had to work through for myself now as an entrepreneur and starting out as a rookie at 43 years old, you know, and and all the different things I've learned along that way that the reader can apply to their life so that they can get ahead.
1: Sounds awesome. When do you think it might come out? November,
0: 2021. I'm actually, I'm four weeks out on my delivery date to them. I have five chapters left. So we're in the final stretch.
1: Okay. Okay. Beautiful. Um, What are you teaching that you've learned about life to your 13-year-old son?
0: You know, I try to work on patience and knowing that these challenging times will pass and explaining different challenging times that I've seen in my life, like 2008, 2009, or, you know, different ups and downs, but really working around it's easy to get consumed with all the negativity out there. It's easy to get really scared with the uncertainty with the economy and, and politics and, and, and you know just everything going on in the world. but just to keep reminding ourselves that we're only in charge of ourselves. this is things will not stay like this forever. Things will get better and we can keep looking forward to different things, whether it be you know someone coming into town to visit or Thanksgiving or you know a weekend trip to the beach, but really trying to just keep moving forward.
1: Very nice. How do you define success?
0: Success to me is, it's a number of different things. I used to think it was just a bank account number or a title on your business card, and I was wrong. (laughs) So what I've learned is it's about your health, first and foremost, right? If we don't have our health, we have nothing. So first and foremost, being healthy and having people in your life that are healthy, that You enjoy being around. Doing purpose-driven work is really—it's so important. There's when I get DMs or messages from people on how something that I did impacted them in a positive way or changed their life. There's nothing so meaningful as realizing that you get paid to do that, and then people send you notes like, you know, that makes me cry. It's—it's unbelievable, and it shocks me that for so long I was just working to make you know shareholders more wealthy. There was no purpose in that work. And so, you know, having health, having good, positive people in your life and in your family and doing purpose-driven work and having fun such that you can do the things and have the freedoms that you want in life and not have that additional pressure. It would be a combination of all of those things.
1: So basically having meaningful work where you're impacting people's lives versus just growing the balance sheet of a company.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't realize that you can have that. You can actually make money, be paid for, you know, the value that you bring and do good things to make the world a better place. That exists. You can find it.
1: No, true. A lot of people have trouble finding their purpose or believing that what they love to do, they can actually make a living doing it. So they settle for what they can make a living at. Right.
0: But Um, I understand why that happens, because it's taken me, you know, it, it didn't just. It wasn't easy. I I want people to know that it wasn't easy. It wasn't like I just fell into it. It's been scary. and, And it's about moving forward into that uncertainty, knowing you don't know where you're going, knowing you don't know which partnership or product you're creating is going to be the one that works, but believing so much in that. But I do know something will work and I don't know yet what it is. But if I keep moving forward, I'll figure it out. Yeah.
1: Aristotle says that you are what you repeatedly do. And I noticed for myself, similar to you growing up, I started working on a farm at eight and a half, and I spent most of my life working many long hours, that I got to a point where you know I wanted to transition into more meditation and relaxing and not necessarily working that much. But because I did it so much, that's who I was. How have you, um, or how do you adapt with that? Because Tony Robbins does this little thing, one of his events where he draws three circles, work self and relationships and he's like how do you divide up your life and a lot of times people you know are achievers that go to his events and the work part circle is very very big and um and the other two circles are not necessarily as balanced how have you been able to work on balancing out your life in that area or do you go to a one place like work and meet a lot of your needs there
0: I believe for me, it's an ebb and flow. Those circles change, shrink and grow and move around. They're not static. You know, I, I don't, when people tell me, oh, you know, this, I, I cut up this percentage here and this, per-, no, I don't believe in that. So an example of that is I'm spending more time with my son than I ever have in his whole life since COVID hit, because we're together 24 seven. I used to travel for work all the time. He used to go to school and go to sports mm. all the time. So that that family circle is now huge and all encompassing where before it was smaller, right? I, the one constant is working out for me. Like, that's a priority that comes before I have to work out. So that's always kind of been there ever since I was a kid and played sports. And, and that's just been a through line throughout my entire life. However, there are times where maybe you're traveling a bit more and you have to cut back, but it's, it's been pretty much a constant. With work, it's, it's a little bit different. You know, in corporate America, when I was coming up and trying to get promoted and going for advancement, I, it took up a lot of my time, you know, then well, I got fired and I was home writing a book, right? So you're still working, but you're also at home. It, it ebbs and flows. Last week I had three uh, virtual speaking engagements. I had the interview for the board of directors. I had so many one-on-one coaching meetings. I said to my son at the beginning of the week, I said, this week, work has to come first. Mom's going to be working a tremendous amount. I need your support and your help. Can you make your own breakfast? Can you help by doing this? Let's, you know, communicate in a way so that everybody knows that when I'm really getting amped up, let's, you know, give mom some space because I'm going all in on this week. Once that week wrapped and I said, to him, okay, we're, you know, we're done now. We're, we're back to normal you know, how was the week for you? He's like, oh, it was fine. I knew that you were gonna be going crazy. And so I just kept myself busy with my school and it all worked out great. So it doesn't just stay static. This week I have a lot less pressure. I don't have any deadlines for anything. So I'm able to, you know, take him to the chiropractor or take him to do things that, that he wants to do. And for me, that's what balance looks like.
1: Yeah, oh, beautiful, I like that. I call it intentional. Um, intentionally being out of balance you might have that special project you're working on for a while and then another time you want to prepare for 90 days to run a marathon or whatever so i agree with you i think this thing of balance is an illusion are there any female people in the world that you admire as mentors some that really stand out and you think they represent a good balance in life
0: oh my gosh there's a lot of amazing women i had the opportunity to interview sarah blakely at live on stage at a marketing conference last fall in Boston and I had the opportunity to get to know her husband beforehand and get to know her and she, her story and what she has created a billion dollar you know business out of basically an idea and five thousand dollars and bootstrapping everything is something that I so admire. Uh, I spoke at a conference last week with Jamie Lima the C, billion, billion dollar CEO of It Cosmetics and I actually stayed for her keynote and I loved it. I loved I, I didn't know her prior to that and hearing her message of how many no's she got for so many years and how her husband and she were literally gonna be homeless because they had taken every dollar they had to invest in that company. And for years and years no one would buy into her product and that she finally broke through. You know, hearing stories like that's near incredibly inspiring.
1: Yeah, very nice. Very nice. So Boss in Heels, this is, this is kind of your world. What does it mean? Explain that a little bit for people that maybe want to understand it, because it seems like it would be mostly for women, but I think it's more of a concept, right?
0: Yeah. So four years ago, when I was still in corporate America, I was, work, I was on the board of a charity in Miami trying to find that purpose-driven life outside of work. And through contacts and events that I was at, I started speaking for the charity a lot. And I start, and I realized, you know, I'm sort of just focusing on this little world called media and I'm not picking my head up and looking beyond, to, you know, bigger picture. I wanna start finding more purpose in my work. Why don't I create my own brand? Why don't I create my own website, make my, my social media profile public and take my message to the world separate from my work and my day job, but, you know, really, tell the story that you can be poor and be a woman and become the chief revenue officer responsible for hundreds of millions of dollars. I didn't have that message when I was a kid. I had to pave that way. And I wanted other people to know, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you have purple hair and flip-flops, you can be who you are, rock who you are. And when you actually step into that, you'll become more powerful and more successful. So I created a hashtag boss in heels, which ultimately means that show up as the real you and that's how you can get ahead.
1: I love it. It's great. Now you've met a lot of people, Jesse Isler and Gary Vee and John Asaraf and Dave Metzler. Is there anybody that stands out and like, you're like, oh, I got that one idea or that concept or that perspective from somebody that stood out for you?
0: Oh my God. There are so many. And since I launched my podcast a year ago, it's unbelievable. Gary Vee is the one that told me to double down and 10x what I was doing on LinkedIn. He was so right. It blew my LinkedIn up. I'm so grateful for him. There's two, uh, Chris Boss, the FBI hostage negotiator. I absolutely adore him. He's such, he's so talented, has such unbelievable background experience. He's become a a great friend. I'm a huge fan of his. But I'll tell you, my two favorite episodes that I did were Ed Milet and Jesse Itzler. And it was just something about those guys, just their energy, who they both are. And it turns out they were actually friends and I didn't know at the time, but it was just, you know, I met so many wonderful people. It's hard, you know, it's hard to pick one favorite, but there's so many, um, so many great people out there. I'm grateful to have the chance to have had interviewed.
1: Yeah. I love Ed Milette. He's uh, he's a, a an all consuming human being, right? He's kind of an, I obviously max out his, his podcast. And I think he represents that well.
0: Yeah. He's, you know, he wanted to get a, uh, someone that I had had on my show Nikki Glazer, he wanted to get her on his show and so he sends me a dm he says can you help me out and I said oh my gosh of course no problem Nikki will definitely do it she's a friend of mine so I connected them and instead of just saying thanks Heather he says okay who can I get for you who do you want that I've interviewed you know so he's he's just he's a real legit just a really good guy
1: yeah, yeah he's definitely about giving and giving back. We had him at one of our events and uh, it was fun to to chit chat with him because he's very, very intense and I appreciate that. So as you go forward and you look at the next 12 months um, in your own mind as a businesswoman. Uh, I have some ideas with what's going on with COVID being extended and I was interviewed a CEO of Disney uh, World yesterday who's in charge of 20,000 people. He told me 28,000 artists and and entertainers and performers have been laid off from Disney World. And I'm thinking we can't keep on the stock markets doing well. At some point in time, we're going to fall off of a cliff is what I'm thinking. What are your thoughts on what's going to happen in the next 12 months?
0: I mean, so it's impossible to predict, right? I, right. I, I feel like there's, there's no way for any of us to know. I just don't see the next year going back to normal. It will be so hard to, to have that happen. So there's going to be this, you know, whatever this whole weird, you know, computer virtual world Mixing with on-site, I got a request yesterday to do a speaking engagement in January in New York City. I agreed to do one in Naples, Florida, in January. So they are bringing back live events. They're coming, yeah. but it's gonna—it's definitely gonna gonna look a little bit different. I—I I, I have no idea what it's gonna look like.
1: Yeah, um, I guess you're right. Nobody does, but certainly uh, there's a lot of reinvention that's gonna have to take place, and a lot of people, I think need to be mentally strong because I can only imagine there must be people that are depressed and people that are isolated. Of
0: course, oh my, so many of my friends are on Prozac now that I never would have thought would end up you know, in a situation like this. But he, here's the thing, the, the we have such, there's so few interactions anymore with people and that is disturbing. And having that happen over a long period of time, Of course, people are going to feel depressed or down or like they're on a roller coaster. You know, my saving grace, like I said before, if I didn't have my workouts daily, I would be I'd probably be calling the doctor wanting to get on Prozac, too, because I couldn't handle it.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I do yoga every morning at 530 and it's it's my it's a it's a ritual. It's a place for me to go, Okay, pull it all together. Um, And what about, you know, like dating in this world for people that are, you know, single and now you keep, can't date really. And you're going to meet people and you like that in and of itself has got to be isolating people more and more. And eventually what's going to happen? People are going to crack. I mean, we're meant to be together and belong and to be parts of things. Right. When we did an event, yeah. we had people sitting six feet apart and it was just weird because I'm used to hugging people and high-fiving people. And, and so now, All of that's coming together. It's gotta, something's gotta happen. And we don't hear about it in the news. At least I don't hear much about it in the news. All we hear is COVID, COVID, COVID. And we don't really hear about how people are coping with it. Would you agree with that?
0: Absolutely, but I, just to remind you, I live in Miami where they have basically repealed all the limitations. You can go to nightclubs, bars till five in the morning. We had a curfew this entire time where I live and they just got rid of it. There's no more curfew. So what I'm hearing is, you know, my trainer, for example, is going out and she's, you know, she's over it. And it's like what you're saying. People are just snapping. They're they're over the COVID and they just say, I don't care if I'm going to get sick. I'm just going to get sick, but I need interaction with people. So there's a faction of people that are definitely there. And if I see it on the news here from Miami, I mean, places are packed. It literally looks like, 2019, but it's, it's right now. And so it's a little shocking to me. I'm not signing up for those things. I'm not snapping like that yet. And and I'm also not judging those people because for example, my trainer doesn't have a child. She doesn't have a spouse. She lives alone. So for all this time, this woman's going home alone every single night. I don't blame her that she's snapping and saying, you know what, I'm just going to take my chances. So there is going to be a Uh, something that plays out here that we're going to keep seeing over the next couple of months, especially with the holidays. And oh my gosh, who knows what this is going to be like. Yeah.
1: Crazy. All right. Final question. What I've learned, you know, as a speaker and a trainer that when you communicate a strategy or a possibility to people, the voice inside people's head is, can I do it? And they look at, you know, LeBron James or other people and like, okay, I can't be them. Uh, how do you help people deal with that voice of, can I do it? And again, you've had success. You've also had lots of failures that people don't necessarily see. But how do you help people get around that?
0: You know, I really step into those low moments, whether it be getting fired and flipping the script on it. I mean, that's basically my calling card now, is really how I overcame getting fired or being divorced or being arrested or you know any of these low moments I have, they're all in my book. I put them all out on social media. I talk about them all the time on my podcast. And the reason why I do that is so other people know you're not alone feeling ashamed. You're not alone doubting yourself. I'm doing my second book now. You'd think I'd be so excited. No, of course there's trepidation around. Is it going to be good? Will it be as good as the first? These are all normal things. And it's important that we shared th- that we're going through those same motions that everybody else is. So people know they're not alone. That gives them the momentum and courage to move forward with their ideas.
1: What did you learn about through, through getting divorced?
0: To be, well, number one, listen to your instinct and intuition. When I, the day that I was getting married inside my head, I said, don't, don't go through with this. And I verbalized it. And my then mother-in-law came down and started crying and begging me. And I thought, oh, do the right thing, Heather. You, she really loves you. You know, I, I made it about other people instead of about myself. So that was one key thing I, I would tell. Whatever your intuition is telling you in your gut, you have got to move forward with it. The other thing I would say is, instead of focusing so much on other people, which is what I was doing initially, Focus on you, you know, if, when you get divorced, it's a great opportunity to be self-reflective. How did I end up here? What what was going on in my mind? You know, why did I make the choices I make instead of focusing on the other person? Oh, they're a jerk, you know, they screwed up, whatever. But really get reflective about yourself and see it as an opportunity to get better and to grow from.
1: How long were you married for?
0: A year and a half.
1: Oh, okay, okay. So, so you came to the realization pretty quickly then. It's funny. I. One of my marriages, my sister said, don't do it. But I was also um, so deep into it, right? All the plans had been made. She was living in Australia, and then she, um, she came down, and she's like, mm, I'm not feeling it. And I'm like, no, no, it'll be fine. So I get it. Sometimes, you know, you've just committed and all the people, and you can, you can fool yourself and, and rationalize things. But, uh, yeah, listening to that little voice and quieting, so that you can get the wisdom that's available. So listen, Heather, we could talk all day long. You're a beautiful fountain of wealth and information and great energy. Thank you for joining me today on the podcast. If people want to connect with you, follow you, learn from you, what's the best place for them to go?
0: You can go to my website, heathermonahan.com or I'm on all social media at Heather Monaghan
1: thank you so much and for those of you that are listening if you loved this episode which i'm sure you did please subscribe and share it with other people and we will see you on the next episode of rock your money rock your life
0: so that's it for today's episode of rock your money rock your life head on over to itunes and subscribe to the show One lucky listener every single week who posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to be Rock's private VIP mastermind guest. Then head on over to rockyourmoneyrockyourlife.com and pick up a copy of Rock's free gift so you too can reach your financial potential, enjoy extraordinary success, and live the life you've imagined.
1: Join us on the next episode.